0: Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Israel? All right. Well, good morning, everybody. It is so good to to see you all. Um, We have done a lot already this morning, and... And I knew uh, where that was going to leave us time-wise, um, but as you know, we—or not maybe some of you don't know—we uh, are in the middle of a series called the Ark of the Bible, and today is week six, and we are moving into the New Testament. We're talking about Jesus, and so uh, yesterday I was working like, how do I, how do I cut? Jesus, back. That's not a weird way to say it. How do I, how do I cut this sermon about Jesus down to closer to twenty minutes? Well, friends, that's not going to happen. I just was. I'm just going to tell you that just at the outset, we're we're about thirty-two minutes based on my last calculation to the end of this service. So, just kind of, there's donuts and there's coffee. The the kids are having fun. Just relax. We're going to have a good time spending the next about 32 minutes talking about Jesus, okay? You, and there's lunch, right? You don't even have to go anywhere, right? You're just going to be here hanging out anyway. Listen to me talk about Jesus. It's going to be great. So, like I said, we are in this middle of this series called The Ark of the Bible, From Creation to New Creation. And what we're trying to do is take this kind of 30,000-foot look at the story from the, the beginning of the, the Bible all the way to the end of it. And so as we, before we jump into Jesus, let's just talk about where we have come over the last five weeks. Uh, we learned in, in week one that God created a very good creation and that he created humanity, he created man and woman, to be stewards of the earth, to be co-rulers of the earth with him, to, to live in the garden in shalom, in peace and in wholeness, and to take that peace and wholeness all across the globe. Well, in chapter 3, in week 2, we saw that human sin, human rebellion brought death and sin into the world. It separated us from. From God. But God, even in that place, even in chapter three, as humanity rebels against him, He promises the woman, He promises Eve that he is going to bring a seed, a descendant who is going to crush the enemy's head and set all things right again. We fast forward it a little bit to Genesis twelve, where we encountered a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham was chosen and called by God. God made a covenant with him. God made some great promises to him. He said, I'm going to make you uh, into a great nation. Right? It was just Abraham at this point. He said, I'm going to make you a great nation, and I'm going to bless every nation on, in the world through you. And this promise was made to Abraham and to, to his descendants Isaac and, and Jacob and Joshua. And at the end of Genesis, we found that the, the Abraham's uh, family, the, the nation of Israel, was growing, but they were in the wrong place. God had promised to bring them into a special land, but they were in Egypt. Exodus opens, and they've been in Egypt for a long time. They've been there for 400 years under, in slavery and under oppression from the Egyptians. And so they cry out to God, and God hears them and raises up another man. His name is Moses. Leads them out of Egypt. Leads them into the, or to the promised land. And then Joshua leads them in to take the promised land. Right? Things seem pretty good. Maybe now there's a big nation and they're in the, in the land they're supposed to be. Maybe now they can fulfill the call of God in their, in their lives to be a blessing to the nations. Well, the book of Judges is 400 years of idolatry and corruption, and Israel does not look like they're in any position to to bless anybody, right? They're, they're struggling, and they cry out for a king. We want to be like the other nations so they raise up the, the kingdom. They're the kings, and there's Saul and David and, and, and Solomon. And then after that, the kingdom is divided because of their sin and idolatry. And the northern kingdom of Israel in seven... 86 or something like that BC uh, is taken into captivity by Assyria and they're never heard from again. The Southern Kingdom lasts for the Southern Kingdom of Judah lasts for another 150 years or so, and then Babylon comes and captures them and takes them into exile. And it looks like everything has fallen apart, right? The, we were a nation and we had the temple and we had Jerusalem and we were supposed to be a blessing, and now we don't have anything. But the prophets rose up and said just hang out here. In 70 years, God is going to bring you back into the land. And there is hope. There is a new covenant coming. Just hold on to hope. And God brings them back into the land. Uh, and, and we see that in Ezra and Nehemiah. Or let me think, where am I at this story? It brings them back into the land. And we're at the end of the Old Testament. Whew! And it looks like Our things are coming back together. The nation, they rebuilt the temple and they rebuilt the the walls, right? Could they now finally fulfill what God has called them to do? And we turn the page from Micah uh, to Matthew. And there's probably in your physical Bibles a single almost blank page that says the New Testament. And that one little page actually represents 400 years of silence as Israel is waiting and longing for this promised messiah this one who would come to set Israel free from their oppressors in the first century it's rome to set them free from their oppressors so that they can fulfill this call that god gave them 1000 years ago to abraham that's pretty good that's pretty good that's 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 the summary summary of the old testament and the intertestamental period. All right? Old Testament, that's just a waiting guy. 400 years, Israel is just waiting uh, for Messiah to come, for God to show up. And then we have the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell the story of Jesus from four different perspectives. Mark and er, Matthew and Luke actually begin with the birth of Jesus. And this birth is called the incarnation, which means the making in flesh. So we believe that that God actually took on human flesh to become fully God and fully man in in the person of Jesus Christ. And we will take a look at how the Gospel of Matthew begins this story. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is actually Matthew one 18 to 18-23, not Mark. And so we see here in this little portion of the story that, that uh, this birth is miraculous. It was actually promised hundreds of, of years before this by Isaiah. But that, that, that Jesus was, um, that Mary was pregnant through the Holy Spirit, not through her husband. And we see in verse 21 that his name is to be Jesus. That would have been Yeshua which is the same name as Joshua from a few weeks ago, right? They both mean Savior. And so just as Joshua brought his people in his day into this promised land to to fulfill God's call in their life, so Jesus is going to be a Savior that brings his people into a promised land. Both names mean salvation. And then we see also that there is this promise that the prophets made, this happens to be uh, the prophet Isaiah, that the virgin will give birth. The the prophets spoke of this future Messiah, the son of David. We learned last week that God promised in his covenant to David that uh, one of his descendants would be on the throne forever. And so Jesus, Emmanuel, the son of God, has come. And his birth is announced by angels to shepherds. And they say, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is Messiah, the Lord. And so we sing this song, right? Every Christmas, we sing, angels, we have heard on high. It's really great. We love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when we think of it in the arc of the story, right, we we remember that, Just before this, there's 400 years of silence as the the Israelites are waiting and longing for them to be set free from Rome, these pagan oppressors. And now the Messiah, the Son of God, is being declared by angels and and, and the, and the, the readers and the shepherds who heard them would have been thinking, could this really be it? We've been waiting a long time. Maybe some of them have thought, well, it's not ever going to happen. My parents were waiting, my grandparents were waiting, their grandparents were waiting, and nothing could it possibly be. And so I imagine there's a bunch of excitement, and what happens is that they wait some more. Jesus uh, is grows up in this little village called Nazareth uh, in obscurity. He's nobody. He's just living there, hanging out with his dad, being a carpenter, doing Doing his thing. And so maybe there's this like, well, maybe, maybe we got it wrong, you know? Maybe, maybe we didn't get enough sleep that night, and we saw those angels. We don't know what was going on. Right? But and so they're waiting. But then at age of 30, Jesus is launched into his ministry. Jesus is launched into his ministry as he encounters John the Baptist. And Mark begins this way. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah is a really big deal. That's a freebie. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John is the one that Isaiah prophesied that would come to prepare a way for Jesus. And so we find, Jesus, or we find John out in the wilderness at the, at the Jordan River. And he is baptizing people, calling them to turn from their sins and to turn to God. And in, in Mark 1, the very next verse from what we saw, Jesus comes with the crowds to be baptized. And this is a really big deal. This, the, the fact that Jesus would come to John and to be baptized is significant. And I'm going to read a quote from uh, Bartholomew and Goheen. They have a great book called The True Story of the Whole World. Um, and they say this. In his baptism, Jesus identifies himself with the people in their brokenness and in their call. Okay. This is important. Their brokenness and in their call. Though he does not need to be cleansed. He's the son of God. He is sinless. He does not need to be cleansed from his sin. He takes on the burden of their sinful nature. He takes on the burden. He identifies himself with the people. And he takes on the vocation or their call. The the, the vocation of their mission to become a channel of God's salvation to the nation. So what does all that mean? It means that God, Jesus, the the incarnate one, identifies with our sinful nature. And he says this thing that humanity has not been able to accomplish. Right? We've seen that for five weeks, how humanity is unable to accomplish the calling of God in their life. Jesus takes that on. And in our story so far, We've seen how God has called Abraham. He's called Isaac and Jacob. And He he promised to bless the nations through Him. We saw this promise reiterated to David last week. And this promise that through him uh, and his line, Israel would be a blessing to the nations. But at the same time, in the midst of these amazing promises uh, of God, we see the patriarchs the judges, and the kings all failed. Israel was unable to bring God's blessing and salvation to the nations. But Jesus will do what everybody else failed to do. Jesus will take on this mission. But before heading into his ministry. He's led into the wilderness and tempted by the devil for 40 days. And in these temptations, Satan invites Jesus to take a different path than the one that was laid out for him by the Father. Jesus, you can take this stone. You can turn it into bread and eat. You don't have to be hungry. You don't have to live life like that. Or, Jesus, just you can throw yourself down from the, the top of this tower. The angels will catch you. You can show the world how powerful and how impressive you are. Or, Jesus, just bow down to me and you know, I have been given authority. I can give you all the nations of the world, Jesus. Just bow down to me. And all of these invitations, all of these temptations uh, are, are, are shortcuts, right, in the, the path for Jesus to become the Messiah. And all of these paths would leave, or lead Jesus to avoid suffering and to avoid difficulty. It would just be a little bit of idolatry and a little bit of covenant infidelity, no big whoop, but life's going to be a lot easier, Jesus. And if we think about it, as we look at these things, these are the very things that have led Israel astray, that has led Israel's leaders astray from God for their entire history. These are the things that have kept them from being the, uh, the blessing and the salvation to the nations that they were called to. So Jesus refuses to take these paths he is going to follow the way of God. He's going to follow the way of enemy love, of self-sacrifice, of humility and grace. Jesus will be the channel of blessing. That he will be the channel of salvation that no one else could do. And it's important for us to remember that Jesus is not plan B. It's not that God was kind of up there in heaven kind of watching things play out and he was like, oh man, I really thought King Josiah had something going on there. I thought that was going to be it, but he messed up. Oh, shoot, now what are we going to do? I guess we better send Jesus. Right? That's not it at all. We don't really understand, or maybe you do, I don't fully understand God's wisdom and God's timing. But what we see played out in the history of Israel is that reconciliation and peace with God cannot come through the hand of man. Each and every one of us need a Savior. We can't save ourselves. The history of Israel shows that we are a mess. We need a Deliverer, and that Deliverer is the God-man, Jesus. And so after 40 days in the wilderness, Jesus begins his earthly ministry. Mark 1, 14 says, After John was put in prison, prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So Jesus comes declaring the good news. And this is... um, Good news is translated from the Greek word euangelion, which is where we get our word gospel. And when we hear gospel, we just think of this, the gospel of of Jesus Christ. But in the first century, like people were gospeling all the time. It was just a completely normal an announcement of some uh, great joy was happening you know maybe there was the, the the gospel of this wedding that's happening right or there's the the, the gospel of the, the birth of a son or the gospel of a, of a military victory right it's just the announcement of this great thing that is happening, but Jesus comes and he gospels the kingdom of God he announces that this great thing has come near. God's kingdom, God's rule has come. We're right on the cusp of it. Uh, He uh, here doesn't describe what the kingdom of of God is because every single person that listened to him knew exactly what he was talking about. We're thousands of years removed from this and we grew up, many of us in the church, hearing about the kingdom of God and we kind of assume what that is. But in, that, in the first century, the Jews in Palestine and the Jews of the Diaspora had this kind of widespread expectation that God is about to act. Right? Something is about to happen. He is right on the cusp of breaking in with his love and with his wrath and with his power. He's about to, to renew creation. He's about to restore his reign over the whole world. The kingdom of God is coming. He's going to finish this old age and inaugurate this new age where God is the king. And they're waiting for that. And Jesus says, here it is. And the response that Jesus calls the people hearing this gospel, this announcement of the kingdom, is to repent and believe. And this is the same call that we are given. When we hear the, the good news of the kingdom of God, we are to repent and believe in it, to put our faith in this kingdom. And the reality is, and what we learn from the teaching of Jesus, is that the way of the kingdom is different than the way of the world. Jesus will continue teaching and teach that blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the the poor in spirit, not the rich and the powerful. In his kingdom, he says that the first are going to be last, and the last are going to be first. He's going to teach that, you know, if you want to gain your life, you need to give it up, to lay it down for others. But also, even in this upside down kingdom, through this allegiance to God, through this countercultural way of life, we will find salvation and blessing. And so Jesus is asking, Mark, the the Gospeler, is asking, God is asking us today, are you willing to turn away from the way of the world to put your faith and your allegiance in King Jesus? To follow this kind of upside-down kingdom way of life? And if you are, repent, turn from your sin, turn uh, from faithlessness, and put your trust and your allegiance in King Jesus. But after this, Jesus uh, clearly tells us that there is something else for us to do. It's not just repent and believe. We can't stop there. Jesus says in the next verse, uh, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. for They were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. We must repent, believe, And follow. It's not just praying a prayer. It's not just this kind of mental agreement to who Jesus is. It is, am I willing to follow this man? Am I willing to follow this king? It's an invitation here for Simon and Andrew to be disciples. And it is an invitation for us to be disciples. To turn away from our own plans and to turn away from our own desires and to be with Jesus to learn from Him, to become like Him, to give our full allegiance to Him. This week, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about discipleship and they compared it to a, a, a young man wanting to learn how to play tennis. And so this young man wants to be a great tennis player and so he finds a tennis coach. Right? And so he gives his time to the coach. And he watches him. He learns to do the things that the, the coach does. He, he learns to, to hit the ball like the coach. He learns to, to stand like the coach. He learns to strategize and think on the court like the coach does. In essence, he becomes this little coach. And we, as disciples of Jesus, are supposed to become a little Jesus. Jesus. We're to think like him. We are to stand like him. We are to encounter life like him. And when we think about, all right, how did Jesus encounter life? Well, he did it through enemy love and forgiveness and grace and peace and obedience and faithfulness. Right? We are called to follow in his footsteps. He picked up the cross. to to lay his life down for others. And so we too will pick up a cross to lay our lives down for others. And so the gospel story continues. We find Jesus doing miracles, driving out demons, subduing the chaos waters of the Sea of Galilee, calming the storm and raising the dead. He's a miracle worker. And these miracles... Uh, declare that he really is who he said he was. He is the one who's empowered to bring salvation. His miracle working uh, reveals that the restoration power of the kingdom has come to earth. He really is the anointed one. He is the long-promised Messiah that we've been waiting for. And so Jesus, the people love Jesus. Things are going well. Miracles and food and he teaches like somebody who has authority. He, he, he sits with all sorts of people. He's not like the religious leaders. But because of this, he draws a lot of opposition from the Jewish religious leaders. They're upset because they're looking for a, a, a kingdom right that is going to come and forcibly remove uh, Rome and set them up as the, 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 the dominant nation once again. All right, it's been a hundred. It's been a long time since they've been a dominant nation, and we're waiting for the Messiah to come and make that happen. And Jesus isn't playing along. He doesn't seem to be the kind of Messiah that they were expecting. And so Jesus challenges the the Pharisees' view on the Sabbath and on food laws. He eats with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and Gentiles. He's hanging out with all the people that the Jewish leaders are rejecting. Jesus won't buy into their great ideas of separation and hatred and violence. And so they look for a way to get rid of him. And during this time, he builds a new community and he teaches this community the ways of God, the ways of the kingdom, calling them to repentance and belief and to following. And he sends them out to tell other people about the kingdom. And as Jesus and his followers are traveling through Palestine, Jesus tells his disciples three times that he is going to Jerusalem and that he is going to be crucified. And the disciples aren't too keen on this. seems like they're getting it sometimes, but if you really, especially if you read the Gospel of Math or of of Mark, it seems like there's moments when the disciples get it, and then it seems like they get more and more obtuse the closer we get to the get to the cross. And and here, uh, you know, Jesus tells them that he is going to uh, be crucified in Jerusalem. And Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke Jesus. But Jesus turned and looked at the disciples and he rebuked Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. I don't want Jesus to ever say that to me. He says, you don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. I, they were still thinking in somehow Jesus is going to rise up and be this powerful Messiah that overthrows Rome. We don't understand how he's going to do it, but certainly he's going to do it. And all of this talk of crosses and death, that's not going to happen. They didn't understand. But Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And so Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem and the cross. Jesus is going into battle, but not with flesh and blood like we expect. He is going to war with the powers and the principalities of the spiritual realm. Jesus is moving to defeat sin and death. And he will do that through his own death. But before he does it, he has one last supper with his disciples. He gathers them on the, the, the Passover meal and has them prepare the, the ritual meal. And this meal was a remembrance of what God did to deliver his people out of Egypt. But it was also an expectation of a new exodus that would bring about God's kingdom and set the Jews free. And during this meal, Jesus declares that the kingdom is here. Through his death on the cross, he is going to bring about this new exodus, this new age. And this death is going to be the climax and the fulfillment of Israel's story. At the meal, he declares that his blood is the blood of the new covenant promised by Ezekiel and Jeremiah while Judah was in exile like 500 years before this. His broken body, his death, is going to bring life his people and Easter is coming up and we'll tell more of this story in a few weeks Uh, but Jesus finds himself in Jerusalem and the Jewish leaders are plotting to have him arrested and killed and they get one of his own disciples to betray him and so Jesus is arrested taken before the Jewish religious leaders He's accused of many things, but the stories don't align. Eventually, the high priest says, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus says, I am. This, of course, is blasphemy to the, the religious leaders, and so they condemn him to death. But they can't put people to death, so they have to take him uh, to the, the Roman leader in Jerusalem, Pilate. They tell Pilate that Jesus has committed treason against Rome by claiming to be a king, and Pilate, unwilling to upset the Jews, sentences Jesus to death. He is stripped and beaten, forced to carry his cross, the instrument of his death, on his back to a place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. His hands and feet are nailed to the wooden cross, and he is lifted up to die in agony, and in shame. So this is supposed to be God's great victory. But a death on the cross being any kind of victory would be absolutely foolish to anybody looking on. The cross was where traitors to Rome were killed. It's where many false messiahs before Jesus had been killed. Was he just another one? Wasn't the Messiah supposed to come in glory and in power? But while thousands of people and and many other false messiahs had died on Roman crosses, only one was resurrected. Only one came back to life. And it is the resurrection of Jesus that validates what he said. It is the resurrection that tells us that he is who he said he is. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. And because He is alive, we too can step into life. What at first appeared to be weakness highlighted and proclaimed the power of God. I don't know how anybody could be bored. I'm just talking about Jesus. So, we're 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 right at the resurrection though. So we're right on the cusp. So as we have seen, every covenant up to this point in the, in the biblical narrative, is ratified in blood. And the new covenant is no different. But this time the sacrifice was not a bull or a goat. But it was the Son of God. The Holy One. And we see that uh, the animal sacrifices were also made for guilty sinners, but the sin was symbolically removed through the animal. But now Jesus becomes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And because of Jesus' resurrection, we know that we who have put our faith in Jesus will also be resurrected as we step with Him into eternal life. So next week, we're going to see how the church took this death and resurrection of Jesus and, and this was the gospel. And through this thing that happened this terrible thing the world was was transformed the world was turned upside down but we'll get there next week so as we close today let's just be thankful that jesus the the son of god the holy one took on uh the the burden of our sin and he took on the the call of our mission and he fulfilled it when everybody else had failed let's pray so, Father God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you uh, for sending him to take on the, the penalty for our sin, to, to to shed his precious blood so that we could be restored and brought back into right relationship with you. Lord, help us to remember this, to, to hold fast to this, and to, to live as disciples of you, to to bear witness of your goodness, to bear witness of your kingdom. Help us to live this upside-down way of the first will be last and the last first. Lord, help us to lay our lives down for others not, uh, or so that You are glorified and that we make room for Your kingdom to come in this world. Lord Jesus, we love You. In Your name we pray. Amen. Amen.